right, lead heads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Lefty. We have been legicating the uneducated since 2012, 10 years of the Talking Lead Podcast. And we have been bringing you some great ones this season. If you tune into last episode, we did a great episode on reloading. So for those of you who want to be uh, more self-sufficient and less reliant on uh, supply chains, you need to start getting into reloading. And uh, we had a great show with David Steer from Lockdown and Pete Pye with Defiant Munitions to give you the basics on what you need to do to get started uh, with that. So go back, check out that episode. We had some giveaways for you listeners like we do every episode. Uh, this episode, I'm really excited because we are, as you're listening to this, uh, in the 4th of July weekend. And I couldn't think of a better way to uh, to celebrate America, our freedoms, than to have this gentleman on with us now. And I'm going to play this little clip kind of as a, an intro for him. This is Sheriff David Clark. Violent crime went up nearly 10% in Milwaukee. Are you the next victim? You don't have to be, but that's your call. Armed criminals are being put back on the street by a soft non-crime court system, even before the ink dries on police reports. Are you prepared to handle a life or death threat? Wisconsin's Personal Protection Act now gives you the same advantage that I have. Now it's the crook who has to wonder what you might do. It can be a great equalizer, but you always have to think survival. Remember, it's you and me now. This public safety message brought to you by the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Our, our guest today is America's Sheriff, Sheriff David Clark. <laughs> Sheriff, welcome in. How you doing, sir? Pleasure to be on with you and uh, hello to your listeners. Well, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, especially, like I said, this this week with the Fourth of July coming up, um, you know, it's it's a great time in our our history as a nation, uh, and everything that's going on, all the divisiveness, all the the controversy with the Supreme Court rulings that are going on right now. Uh, I just thought we couldn't have a better person on right now to to really help us get through some of these tough times and maybe help us better understand some of these these issues that we're facing uh, than you, Sheriff David Clark. Well, thanks a lot. You know, I think it's appropriate, too, on Independence Day. You know, our, our, our country as we know it, the United States of America, our, our customs, Western values, so on and so forth, the Constitution are all under siege right now. And, uh, look, we're going to have to fight to maintain what's left of them, and we're going to have to fight even harder to regain when we lost over the last, I would say, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years as a result of not being attentive to what was going on uh, behind the scenes with this uh, subversive American left. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we thank you for, for your voice and everything that you're doing out there to uh, protect this country, our Constitution. Uh, you continue to do it uh, even after your nearly four decades of uh, law enforcement service there in uh, the Milwaukee area. Uh, give us a little bit of background about uh, about your law enforcement career. Yeah, uh, nearly 40 years. That's a long time, but it, uh, it went fast. Uh, trust me. And I've seen a lot. I never tell people that I've seen it all. I've heard it all, but I've seen a lot. I've had a very unique view as a law enforcement officer, uh, front row seat to the world, really. I mean, through the, the lens of Milwaukee County. But traveled this country and spoken to a lot of great people, great Americans, and learned about them as well. I started as a patrol officer with the city of Milwaukee Police Department, 
Uh, when I started, you actually, you came up walking a beat. Okay, you didn't get to assign a squad car until you put some time in. And when you're out there by yourself on the street walking a beat at night, third shift, Milwaukee's an urban district, it's an urban area. And uh, you gotta grow up fast as a cop. And you know, you gotta think, you gotta think for yourself. Help might be some ways away um, so you learn a lot of things as you're out there by yourself. And then, of course, now there's no such thing as, as, as allowing people to mature and groom as a law enforcement officer. They throw them right into the fire. Yeah. And I think it's to the detriment because it takes probably anywhere from three to five years to become a seasoned officer. And what I mean by that is time after time after time, when you're exposed to these calls for service in these situations, you, you, you get a little better at handling them, you know, what might work, what might not work. And it just takes time. That's why they call it seasoning. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, I had that when I was working, uh, when I did get to, to, to ride in the patrol car, there were two officers to every car. It's not so much the case anymore. And usually you were assigned to what was called a field training officer. And that field training officer had, you know, 15, 20 years of experience that you were learning from. And now, you know, you don't have that anymore. You got field training officers that have been on uh, the job, you know, five years themselves. So a lot has changed is what I'm getting at here. But I had the benefit of that. And then, uh, you know, after about nine or 10 years, I got promoted to detective. So I was in criminal investigations, worked a wide variety of assignments there, uh, property crimes, violent crime. I was assigned to the homicide uh, squad of the Milwaukee Police Department, investigated a lot of homicides, unfortunately. Matter of fact, I had a record year during that time. It was about 100 and, and maybe 60 homicides, which for the size of the county of Milwaukee, about a million people is a lot. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, we have outdone that. So there have been record-breaking years in terms of homicides. Keeps and I got into management. Yeah lieutenant of uh, detectives for a while then i got promoted to captain and i commanded precincts or districts and then after that I became the sheriff of milwaukee county uh, so i've had a full career it's been a rewarding career it's been great a lot of experience culminating in uh, becoming the chief law enforcement executive which was always my uh, career goal to lead an agency and i got to do that in, in the city and town that i was born and raised in very good, man. So you've had a very exciting career, uh, to say the least. Um, uh, I mean, controversy is, is a word that a lot of people use, you know, controversial, but, you know, outspoken. Um, but, you know, you, you speak your mind and you speak how you feel and what you feel. You're not a, you know, you haven't been a puppet during your service. Uh, was it three terms that you served as sheriff? Four? Four terms. Four terms Four. As, as sheriff, uh, you know, and... You know, that's got to be commended, and you know, there's got to be a lot of people that respect you for that. Um, contrary to what we hear in the in the in the media about you, and you know, that's another reason, kind of, why I wanted to, to have you on here is to get your side of things as well, because in, in today's society, you know, we all know that the the media is controlled by the left, and their narrative is the one that's being pushed and, and driven, and there's. There's very few news organizations out there. I mean, you can't even say Fox is a conservative news station uh, anymore. Uh, Newsmax, maybe. Um, they seem to do a pretty good job of, of representing our side of things. But, yeah, man, I, I just wanted to get you on here and, and have you tell your side of the story. You've actually written a book also, which uh, you know I kind of want to talk about that uh, as we 
get into our conversation. Uh, it's called Cop Under Fire. How long ago did you write that book? How long has that been out? That's about five, it's been out about five years. Uh, did pretty good for a first book. You know, it, it's, it's hard to get a book published. That was another one of my career goals. Once I became chief executive, I wanted to be published. So, you, you know, I got to check that box off uh, career goal. And, you know, the, the thing about the book is, and you, you touched on this a little bit, you know, when, when you're, when, when you don't subscribe to the, I think I'm losing you, position David. Position politics. You know, things like labels like that, which I always say controversial to who? Not to the people that support me. I'm not controversial. But, you know, I don't, I don't really care about that stuff. But what the book does is it gives people a deep dive into, you know, who David Clark is. I mean, I was a public official, an elected official. People should know who you are. I take positions on a number of things that are important to me. I'm not a gadfly. I don't leap at everything. There's some things that come up in, in our public discourse that I just go, nah, that's not really high in my priority list to talk about. But there are certain things, core values, I call them. You know, people want to call them conservative. That's okay. They probably are. But I don't think that the province of any particular uh, ideology, because of course, the Democrat Party has changed considerably. A lot sure. of the things that I subscribe to, they did too 25 and 30, 40 years ago, but not so much anymore. But anyway, just people deep dive and so a lot of things that I get to talk about, but you, you only get a snapshot on. I mean, and TV, a five, six minute interview is a, a lot. And you can't get everything out in five or six minutes on an issue. And so yeah. you have to talk on bites. And when you do that, of course, the media takes advantage of it. Oh, he said that. Well, it's taken out of context in terms of the entire thing that I've said on this issue. I write a lot to do the same uh, sort of thing. So that's what the book was about. Um, you know, my upbringing and uh, my experiences and my views on some of these issues that are confronting America today. Yeah. And you mentioned your upbringing. And I, and I want to talk about this, too. Uh, you know, and I think it's probably got a lot to do with the person that you are today. You know, your father, um, and I don't want to talk about it. I'll let you talk about him, but your father uh, served in the Korean War. Um, so talk about that. Yeah, a great man. He's still with me today. He's 91. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I've been blessed, really, with uh, being the product of a two-parent family, loving, you know, we never had a lot of money. Um, my dad worked 33, 34 years at the U.S. Postal Service. You know, my mom worked in the school system, the public school. And, you know, I was, you know, I was fortunate. Like I said, my mom and dad didn't have a lot, but they poured everything that they had into the raising of their five kids, provided us with a decent education and, you know, a lot of love and a lot of understanding, a lot of lessons. My dad was high on discipline. You, know, you mentioned that um, he, he was in the military. You know, he joined the military when he was 17 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, he... He fought in Korea. He was an Army Airborne Ranger, had several combat jumps under fire, lost some of his colleagues coming out of the sky, you know, into uh, uh, Korea. So anyway, he was big on discipline and he insisted and he actually demanded uh, discipline for myself. And, and, and he made it clear. He said, you're not going to discipline yourself. I'll do it. And but it was that sort of foundation, really. You know, that taught me things like personal responsibility, accepting responsibility for your actions, decision making, uh, learning life's lessons, realizing that, you know, life is hard. It's not fair. 
I'll be the first one to say life's not fair, but there are a lot of people who it's more unfair to than it was for me, for heaven's sakes. I mean, how would you like to be born with a birth defect, for heaven's sakes? So, I, you know, I look at that kind of stuff. And, and the, the biggest lesson that he taught me, my mom and dad, when you fall down, for heaven's sakes, get back up. Learn a lesson from it and keep moving forward. Don't lay on the ground in a fetal position crying, woe is me, and life's not fair, and those people are mean, and, you know, they're racist, and so on and so forth. And overcoming obstacles was the biggest uh, lesson that I learned from my mom and dad because life is full of them. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can attest to that, too. Probably one of the best lessons that my dad ever taught me was, uh, you know, it's not, it's to be self-reliant. You know, don't ever rely on someone else to get something done or if you want something. Yeah, the, that was probably one of the greatest lessons that, that he taught me, and that's, you know, do it yourself. And, and it's self-reliance is, you know, the key to success. And I think a lot of the – what you what you, you hit on a core issue there, you know, the family. Your father taught you the difference between right and wrong and not to give up and not to quit. Your, your parents did that, and they did it as a family unit. You know, I think that's what we're missing, and I think that's where a lot of these uh, – the youth today are, are going wrong is they don't, they haven't developed a conscience. You know, they don't have a conscience and, and it, that has to be taught. You know, that has to be instilled at a young age. Um, yeah. And, right. You know, and, and, and also they instill virtues in me. Virtue is defined as a redeeming quality. Things like, you know, I said responsibility, things like patriotism is a virtue. My dad was real big on patriotism and, you know, look at it this way. My dad fought in the army when the army was segregated, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, I okay. wanted you to mention that because the the uh, second ranger infantry company that he served in was a segregated it all, unit. It was all African Americans. Right, right, right. And and so if there, you know, from that generation, if there's anybody who could have a beef with this country, it would have been people who grew up back then under Jim Crow and under, you know, real segregation. Not these goofs today that don't. You know, they have no idea what it, the way it used to be and how it's gotten better. But anyway, you know, my dad never held those hard feelings. You know, he never, I didn't grow up with a chip on my shoulder. We didn't have conversations about race in the household. It's just kind of, hey, look, you know, you're going to have to figure out, you know, be better prepared, doubly prepared to deal with the stuff that's going on uh, in the world. And and that's a better lesson no, than absolutely. the lesson some of these young men are growing up with today racism white supremacy this that and the other i'm not here to get into an argument or a debate about whether that stuff exists i'm like hey look it's part of the human condition because blacks can be just as racist as white people and, I, and i've given examples of that so yeah part of the human condition uh, we're a better country than we were 30 40 50 60 100 years ago a much better country and those are the things that i focus on how we've gotten better not about our sordid past you know, and that's what that's what people need to focus on, definitely. And of course, we learn from our past, and we need we need our history. So you know that that golden rule, you know, history will repeat itself. Uh, it's doomed to repeat itself. But with with them trying to squash and hide and not educate and and teach our kids history of you know this is what it was like in the past, and this actually happened rather than try to hide that and change it and, you know, make a whole new narrative. That's how we learn, you know, and that's how we become better. Sure. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, it's a rich history, this country. Like I said, it it's is. not, 
uh, seashells and balloons. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the, the goal of the Founding Fathers was to become better as a nation, you know, to reach, uh, um, you know, some of these concepts like all men are created equal. They knew it would take time putting this country together. You know, some people try to make it, uh, make people believe that America created slavery and racism, and they didn't. No. Slavery goes back to the beginning of time, goes back to conquest, where uh, nations would uh, conquer somebody and then enslave their people. Yeah, you know, like I said, part of the imperfection of man, but that's gone on all throughout, um, you know, since the beginning of man. And so and it, the thing is to get... And, and it still why, happens today. You know, you've got the uh, the human trafficking that's widely prevalent around the world. And um, uh, what was it just recently, that truck of like 51 migrants? Yeah, human smuggling, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, and, you know, you, know, you, get a, you know, a big boxcar like that, 18-wheeler, in the summer months, especially down in Texas, you know, it had to be like an oven. Oh, yeah, two, 200 degrees or more, probably. Yeah, and, and so I can't think of a more horrific way other than, like, uh, dying in a fire. I can't think of a more horrific way to die than, than in some um, thing that's basically been turned into an oven, and you just sit there and bake. Yeah. And supposedly they've uh, they've caught the two guys, I guess the drivers of the truck. I don't know. Uh, we'll see what, what comes of that. But in Milwaukee, being the sheriff of Milwaukee, uh, you know, you're you're there on uh, Lake Michigan, right on the right. right on Lake Michigan there with Milwaukee. Uh, did you guys have to deal with a lot of trafficking issues there, human trafficking? Did you see that? Was that prevalent in that area? No, it was just starting. There were remnants of it, but it was uh, something that was just becoming uh, unearthed, if you will, uh, as an issue. So, you know, we're on a major corridor, I-94, which uh, goes down to Chicago, yeah. you know, Chicago, up for that sort of thing. But we had a, a bigger issue with drug trafficking coming up through uh, I-94 was identified as a high-density drug trafficking area. Yeah. So had... Uh, several several programs going on, anti-drug uh, programs going on with the feds. We worked with the feds on task forces to deal with that sort of thing. The human trafficking, like I said, was just emerging. It was mainly the sex trafficking, gotcha. young girls. Now, what was one of the biggest obstacles as sheriff uh, of Milwaukee County that you experienced? Um, and and I know it would have been, you know, the opposite political side, you know, and, and them putting up barriers for you to get done. But other than that, what, what would you think was one of your biggest obstacles? What do you feel like well, your hands were tied on? Well, it was the politics. You, you know, I, I try to remind people, you know, I'm in charge of public safety, not all this other nonsense. And everybody across all demographics, okay, everybody wants to be safe. They want safe neighborhoods. They want to feel safe inside their homes, in their schools. They want the children to be kept safe. Everybody wants that. There's not one demographic that, that would stand up and say, we don't want public safety. We don't want safe streets, safe schools, so on and so forth. But the, the politics would always seep into it because Milwaukee, the political class is very liberal. They're, they're uber, uber lefties. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was a rock solid conservative. So that's where the clash always was. You know, I was tough on crime and, 
you know, they wanted more, uh, uh, you know, soft on crime stuff, uh, second chance programs, not against that stuff, but look, I want to do what works. And if it doesn't work, I don't want to engage in it. Yeah. And I research and I realize that all these programs and ideas the left comes up with for criminality, they don't work. They've been done before. They've been tried before. They, they bring them back new and improved. They put a new label on the program, you know, second chance for a guy that's been arrested 10, 15, 20 times. He's well past his second chance, but Absolutely. it sounds good to call it a second chance program. So the biggest thing was, um, you know, getting through the politics that people tried to turn it into. But again, you know, if, if I got elected four times as a rock solid conservative in a very I liberal county, say, yeah. it tells me that, that the people were on my side and that's where I wanted them. Yeah, you know, and that's what I don't get either. You know, you're you're you were an elected official. You know, the people wanted you there, and not only one time, but four times that you were elected. Um, contrary to, you know, maybe the the controlling liberal leftist that was that was over your, you know, over your area there, the people were speaking. You know, and they're like, hey, we don't want that. We want what this guy's offering and what he's got and his ideas. Um, it it just baffles me that the people put they wanted you, but yet they were still trying to stop you from doing what the people wanted. It just <laughs> yeah, it was it was a constant clash. But that was the biggest that was the biggest uh, obstacle and hurdle was the politics. Yeah. Did you always want to be a sheriff growing up? Was that something you always no, wanted to do? Um, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting when I got into law enforcement. Uh, when I first got into it, I got into the minimum age of, of 21. You have to be 21 to be a cop in most states across the country. Yeah. And actually, it was my father who just, he didn't, like, push me toward it. But he'd bring it up every once in a while. He'd say, you know, I would think of going into law enforcement. And I didn't. Yeah. I, in the book. Um, it's it's not, I didn't have, like, I want to be X. I want to be, you know, whatever. I, I didn't have any any real uh, sense of what I wanted to do with my life. But anyway, uh, I was working for a beer distributor at the time. And, you know, I realized after a couple of years of that, 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 that backbreaking work wasn't going to be for me. You know, hauling, Those you know, kegs lift. are heavy, yeah. Exactly right, they are. And so I did. that's when I began thinking about it. And I took the test. And to make a long story short, um, and the first time I took the test, I didn't I didn't make it through. I passed the test, but then I got these other uh, steps that you have to take. And, you know, keep in mind that the Milwaukee Police Department at the time was was uh, it was steeped in racism. Yeah. They just were the chief was at the time. And so it was hard for black guys to get in. But you know what? I wasn't deterred. Remember, I told you the thing about my mom and dad said when you fall down, get back, get back up. up. Look at it as a learning lesson and overcome obstacles. I took it again, went through with flying colors and got in. Um, and, you know, the first couple of years were tough, like I said, because of the, the climate inside the department. Yeah. And it wasn't so much the officers. It was it was some of the supervisors and some of the upper uh, echelon of the agency were still, um, you know, they thought this was the 60s. And. <laughs> Um, well, that was the era that they probably, you know, they right, were trained in. Right. Exactly. You know, product of their environment. But anyway, struggled through the first couple of years, fought through and 
then finally established myself, you know, as a, as a, a competent law enforcement officer. I mean, my colleagues, my co-workers always saw it from the day I came in because um, I was able to think and process information quickly. They knew I was educated. And like I said, it wasn't the officer so much as it was the supervisory staff. But anyway, um, you know, that's life. And, and you just got to grind it out sometimes. And that's what I did. You and didn't like point I a said, finger as this is the reason, you know, this person is the reason why I'm not getting where I, I want to be in life. You didn't take that as the excuse or the reason. You kept pushing and you kept persevering and you got through it. Well, you know why? Because once I got a taste of it, once I got accepted into the academy, and then you start to develop that camaraderie with law enforcement, I loved it. Yeah. And I said, oh, nobody, nobody is getting in my way of this being my career. And, and so that's why I said, you know, you just got to grind it out. Started taking promotional exams along the way because I knew I wanted to, to, to move up in, into certain areas. Once I, um, after about the first couple of years, I really wanted to get into criminal investigations, which is why that was my first uh, promotion was after nine years, I think I got promoted to a detective. And you just, you, you got to fight through this stuff and you got to believe in yourself. See, that's one of the things that the left cannot stand about me. They know that guy believes in himself. And when you get somebody who believes in himself, they're hard to stop. Yeah. Uh, near impossible. Definitely. And, you know, that's the thing. The blame game is, is, I think, a lot of people's detriment. You know, they want to blame other people for their failures instead of doing what you do and just ignore that. And this is what I want and this is how I got to get there. Well, that's no what, excuses. you know, one of the, the lessons, life lessons that my dad taught me. Um, you know, when things go wrong, he would say, start by looking in the mirror. Okay, it's one of those virtues. I talked about personal responsibility. Look in the mirror and the guy looking back at you, ask him, what could you have done different to have affected a better outcome? My dad would say, start there. And then you can move on to the, uh, you know, well, this person, that person. But he always had me look in the mirror and yeah. say, what could that guy have done better to have affected a better outcome or a different outcome? And that's when you find out, you start looking inside yourself. You don't look at the other person or the other group or other obstacle. You say, David, this is where you have to improve to be able to overcome that stuff. And these are lessons that, unfortunately, a lot of young black men uh, growing up today, not, they don't get. No, because they don't have the mentorship, you know, like your father. They don't have that role model to be able to, to teach that to them. And, yeah, I mean, we, you know, people point at guns. They point at mental illness you know, for our societal problems, but that's not it. It's, it's the family, you know, it's that, that right. feeling of belonging. And, you know, I, I feel like I owe these people something and, and I owe them a good representation on my part of going out in society because I represent them as well. And if I do something shameful to me, it's going to shame them. And, you know, I think that stopped a lot of people, you know, generations growing up from doing heinous crimes he's like you know there's there's several things i've thought about doing not crime wise but you know it's like maybe i shouldn't say there maybe shouldn't do that because that's going to bring shame to to my family you know the, yeah, i was i was i was real embarrassing let my dad down for heaven's sake exactly um but you know that's the role that fathers play in, in terms of raising 
their boys, young men, is to um, teach them life's lesson, discipline them, teach them um, responsibility, that sort of, that's the and role respect. of a father. Yeah. Respect, oh, respect big time. And, and respect started with my dad. Uh, my dad was, you know, yeah, he, he, <laughs> it started there. You and, say, and, and I, I left the house that respect carried over to some other adult, meaning like the school teacher. Yeah. Got the same respect for me that my father got. Respect the neighbor your elders. This, uh, right. Same respect. And, uh, it's those sort of things that, you know, a family unit provides for their kids when you're in a loving family and loving, and, and you know. Life's tough for families sometimes. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes families break apart. You know, there's divorce, there's death, whatever. The parent might die. But there's there should be somebody there to pick up that, uh, fill that void missing, and it shouldn't be the government. So what we allowed no, the, the, the left not. to do was to fill these voids in this breakup of the family, this downfall of the family in the 60s, the black family. We tried to, well, we let them fill it with Uncle Sam government program and no government programs to be raising any uh you know the the uncle sam became you know he paid the rent right rent assistance kept the lights on with uh utility assistance on so, on. so uncle sam didn't provide the love and the care that a human being does you know like a mom and a dad you know i think that's what and not necessarily the politicians of the government but that's what america needs to focus on this is what the citizens need to focus on is that family unit again, and, and and not necessarily God and religion, because I know you're a religious man. You you were raised Catholic, um, but the morals that religion teaches, you know, those those morals have gone away because the government has stepped in and taken that out of our system. You know, I think that's uh, one of the big rulings that the um, Supreme Court uh, did. The that coach that was praying. Um, talk about your uh, your views on that. Yeah, uh, you know, that's been one of these issues that that been going back and forth for quite some time. We allowed the left to take God out of the public square. Uh, God became marginalized. Religion, when I say God, religion became marginalized, and we let them do it. You know, they used to pray in public schools. Yeah, Kids I, they did pray. when I was in school. Said the Pledge yeah. of Allegiance, did all that. Right. Um and then we, we, we allowed the left to catch on to this thing about, you know, separation of church and state, which is not a, a, in the, anywhere in the Constitution. Mm -mm. Uh, we have freedom of religion in this country under the First Amendment, not freedom from religion. And so when you look at that case, the guy with the coach would um, go to midfield after the game by himself. And then, you know, later on, other players would join him. But. He wasn't holding a, uh, uh, you know, prayer session, whatever, just a, you know, silence. If people wanted was to pray, it making could. it mandatory or anything like that? He's just invited, you know, if people wanted to join him, they could join him. They're free to do so, you know, free will. Yeah. You know, up until this last case, uh, that stuff was the courts would shoot it down. I mean, the courts would say, yeah, that's, uh, you know, proselytizing, they call it. Uh, but finally, I think this court, uh, they're starting to get, back more toward the originalist intent of the Constitution, and that's why we're seeing some of these in this last week or so, we're seeing the decisions yeah. uh, that are made. These are originalists, these the six basically, the, the, 
you know, the best you're going to get is 6'3", sometimes 5'4". But uh, they believe in the original text of the Constitution. And so when you talk about things like freedom of religion, when you talk about things like freedom of speech, you talk about things like uh, right to keep and, and, and bear arms, you know, shall not be infringed. That's the original intent. Now, of course, over time, you know, um, adjustments are made, so on and so forth. But you want to stay real close to the original intent. And what's happened over time is we got too far away from it where everything became, you know, unconscious. You couldn't pray. You couldn't, you couldn't because speak. Because government is getting too big. And that was one of the original intents of the Constitution, too, is to keep government small. But right. it's gotten way out of hand. And that's that's what we need to focus on, too. Is, And I think that some of these decisions that the Supreme Court has, has done um, is they're taking the, the federal government out of it, you know, and they're leaving it to each individual state, which is where it sh- that's what the Constitution was designed for. Sure. If we if we if we taught these kids something, which we don't anymore, we don't <laughs> yeah. teach history. The founding fathers intended the states to be stronger than the federal government. That's what they wanted under the 10th Amendment. Absolutely. Um, of course, that's been shifted on its head. The federal government looms over everything now, looms over the states. Um, you know, the way these pendulums swing, as you know, you know your viewers and, and, and listeners know, you know, they, they happen in cycles. Uh, it's going to take some time to get back to what this country should be. And it's, it's you know, the rights of the, the right of the states. It's about self-rule. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you shrink the size of the federal government? I mean, federal government, all these bureaucracies, all these agencies, you know, they become de facto legislatures when they start making their own laws outside the, the Congress, yeah. which is not supposed to happen. That's the biggest challenge, I think, for anybody running for Congress or, the, or president right now is you better have a solid plan on to, as to how to shrink the size of the federal government. I don't want more laws. I, we, we, don't have, we, we have enough laws. We have enough regulation. I yep. want these people to go to Washington, D.C. and leave me the hell alone. You know, let the states figure this out. And we can have these arguments at the state level, but we can't have them in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So I can go to my state legislature here in Madison, Wisconsin, and, you know, sign up to speak on a bill. Try doing that in Washington, D.C. They don't allow <laughs> that. And so yeah, that's why I said it's, it's better if states are left alone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I kind of want to get back to your dad. You said he's still alive? 91. 91. Uh, I would love to get him on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, he's a fine, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a lot like him. Uh, he speaks his mind, too. Yeah, you know, and he, that's great. I love that. I would love to hear and, some of his stories uh, about the Korean War, and I don't know if he's comfortable talking about that kind of stuff or not. But You know, he wasn't growing up. We, he never talked about um, the war and his, his, his time in the military. But a, a book came out with a bunch of, uh, by a bunch of retired rangers uh, on that unit. And the book details a lot. The Buffalo, was it the Buffalo Rangers? Is that what it was? I think I remember hearing something about that. Buffalo yeah. Soldiers or something yeah. like that. Buffalo Soldiers, yeah. Uh, so... I got most of what went on from reading that book. And, you know, he, he gave me a cop and he signed it. Um, nice. 
And I, I, I did read it. I, I wanted to know about, you know, my dad fought for freedom. My dad fought for this country and he lost colleagues. Yeah. Um, he's one of the fortunate ones that, that made it through. But I wanted to know more about that. And, and I, you know, like I said, I don't know that he was real comfortable talking about it, but he was in that book and, and his, his fellow rangers were in that book. And so I learned a lot about his military service. And I came away proud. I really did. And I, I, I say to this day, my, I wasn't in the military, but I say my dad gave me my stake in America. My dad fought for freedom. My dad fought for this country. And, Absolutely. you know, obviously, that's, that's my stake in America is my father. That's awesome. I love that. Now, you do a podcast, too. Is that right? Are you still doing your podcast? Um, no, I had to give it up. I, was, I had a podcast on the Blaze, Glenn Beck. Yeah. And then I got involved with the Trump campaign back in 2015. And so I was doing a lot of traveling uh, all over the country to obviously stump for Donald Trump to become president. And so I didn't have the time to dedicate to it anymore. Uh, I'd like to get back. And I, I do. I host local radio. Okay. I've hosted the Sean Hannity radio program, radio show. I've hosted Dennis Prager's national show. Yeah. Uh, but now it's mainly local. Uh, news talk 1130 is is the uh, the station here and it's got the largest listening audience in the state of wisconsin but i get to fill in as a guest host when those guys go on vacation or what i need some extended time off you know yeah. i'll get called and say could you work could you do the show on tuesday or wednesday and i'm sure that's probably people can get on the internet and and no yeah, matter where they're talking. at they can listen yeah. to it and i post when, when i when i done with the show is live but when I'm done, you know, they'll, they'll podcast it. And I used to post it on my social media. My social media is at Sheriff Clark. And it's Clark with an E, C-L-A-R-K-E. And it's the same handle, at Sheriff Clark, for Parler, Twitter, Instagram, Telegram. It's, it's all at Sheriff Clark. You haven't been banned from those? <laughs> from Instagram oh, no. and Twitter and all uh, that? Oh, I've been, I, I've been suspended by Twitter a number of times. Yeah. You know, picky unit stuff. But that's, like I said... You know that's the way it is. And, I'm on and, their uh, uh, I'm on their shit list right now. Instagrams apparently because I'm being heavily shadow banned on my my stuff. Oh um, well, Instagram hasn't hasn't uh, really messed with me, but yeah, I'm on know, the radar. I was never over the line anyway. But you know, like I said, picky unish. So you know, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story here. I got yeah. suspended by her once because I called Stacey Abrams, who was a failed candidate for governor of the state of Georgia. Yeah. Might have heard of her. Um, I called her a wench. And they banned me for that. They call that abusive. First of all, she's a public official. You should see the names they call me. Oh, yeah. But then they're okay with that. Yeah. So I called her a wench one time in a tweet. And they said it was abusive. And, and banned you? <laughs> they suspended me for I don't know, about a month. But they... They said if I took it down, I always challenge it, and you're not going to get anywhere with them. But yeah. they say you can appeal this, but if you take it down, we'll put you back on. I, I don't take them down. I got you. I got you. Well, I'm kind of experiencing it for my first time, uh, like I said, through Instagram. And uh, I've made a post, uh, like I do um, for all my shows, for my listeners to post questions because we record and, you know, I don't do it live. So, 
Um, I made that post and it's, it's heavily been shadow banned, I guess, because you're my guest, <laughs> uh, <laughs> might be what it is, but we did get a few questions here. Let's see. Brett Badal asked, when did you realize that your career was under attack by the liberal media? Was this abrupt or happened slowly over time? Once I got elected sheriff and now I have a platform and started expressing my views on certain things relative to public safety, tough on crime, Second Amendment, you know, that sort of thing. And then that's what put me in their crosshairs, so to speak. Yeah. I had a platform now and then people were listening and it grew national. You know, it became a national platform. My position on the Second Amendment, my position on crime and violence, my position on race issues. And they, they were contrary to the liberal ideology, right? I'm the black guy. I'm supposed to be a liberal. I'm supposed to scream, you know, racism and white supremacy and so on and so forth. Um, but that's just not me. I'm an independent thinker. You know, we were talking earlier about some of the labels they put on me, controversial, um, you know, is one they like to use. But, but you'll never hear him say things like, you know, he's well thought out. He's... Uh, an independent thinker, because I can explain my positions when given the time. Like I said, I do a lot of yeah. writing. Um, Very and, well spoken. And yeah. it, it makes sense. The, the stuff that I talk about are things that most people already know. Absolutely. What would you say um, was maybe the event that happened during your career that brought you the attention? Uh, it was at 32nd Ave and started the show with. Uh, that was meant for, there was a series of home invasion burglaries here in, in Milwaukee County. And some of the advice given out by the Milwaukee Police Department, you know, it's the sheriff at the time, but, you know, stuff like, uh, uh, you know, big screen TVs at the time were a big item to be taken out in these home invasion robberies. And the police were given advice like, uh, you know, if you buy a big screen TV, cut the box up into little pieces when you're done so people don't know you bought a TV. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I buy a big screen TV, the only thing I'm interested in is getting that bad boy out of that box, hooking it up, throw the box out by the trash, and start watching TV and enjoying it. So I thought, we got to do something different here. Because these are home invasion robberies. I'm robbers. Home invasion. People are home. Crimes. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so I put out a 30-second radio ad. You know, you played it at the beginning. Uh, and basically tell them, reminding people their role in their own safety. But see, this was something new because, you know, most of the time the message from police is well, just call 911. I go, 911, my rear end. Uh, I have to defend myself and my family. I'm the first line of defense, and I need to accept that responsibility. So the ad said, consider taking a firearm safety course, you know, so you can defend yourselves uh, and your family until we get there. I didn't tell anybody to buy a gun. That's a decision they have to make. But if they are going to make it, I think they ought to be educated about it and, and learn how to use it. Yeah. Learn how to operate. And that's all the message was, was you play a role in your own safety. And that 30-second ad went viral. And it was being played all over the country. I was interviewed all over talk radio nationally about, you know, and, it, and it was, what was unique was, most law enforcement officials don't talk. They don't tell people to defend themselves. They tell them, well, just call 911 and let us handle it. That's not what I subscribe to. Yeah, and and that's an awesome message. And uh, I can see where that would definitely uh, tick things off with the liberal media. Now, 
you know, I've seen how they've twisted that message and saying that you're telling them that if you've, if you're in trouble or, uh, you know, you need us, we're not going to come. You know, they were interpreting it that way that you were telling people that, which we all know that you weren't. Yeah. They twisted and turned it. That's okay. You know, because the people who that was intended for, it was, it was not national. It was a 30 second ad I put on, on talk radio stations in Milwaukee. It was an ad. You had to buy time, right? Yeah. It was meant for the residents of the city of Milwaukee, in the county of Milwaukee. And, and of course, you can't control it if it goes viral. It did. Um, Which was good. But <laughs> it was a good thing. Yeah. 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 It's, it's you know, I'm safety, public safety first. I want people, like I said, to be safe in their homes, their schools, their, their, in the streets. Yeah. You see what's going on today. Um, even outside the home, it's, it's I'll tell you what, uh, Wisconsin during the time I was sheriff, passed carry concealed license uh, legislation, which allowed people to get a, a permit to. I was going to ask you, uh, what are the what are the laws there as far as uh, the firearm carry goes in? in yeah, Michigan, it's pretty Wisconsin? it's pretty good, it, and it's pretty um, it's user friendly. You have to take four hour course at a certified uh, gun safety program. Mm-hmm. And you take the four-hour course, get a certificate, you, you fill out the application, send in the state, they send you a license. I mean, it's, it's pretty. So yeah, and the thing is, you know, Wisconsin doesn't require you to shoot as part of the training. No, it's mm-hmm. up, if you're a responsible gun owner, you're, you're going to take care of that anyway. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but some states will use that because, you know, if you're, if, if you're not real accurate, can't pass that portion of it. So it's done to frustrate people. Yeah. But you know, I used to think that, you know, cause I grew up with firearms, um, my whole life hunting and, you know, shooting shotguns and rifles and, uh, that, you know, I could handle any situation. I don't need to, any training until I went to my first defensive handgun course. And I didn't realize how dead I would be. Um, had I not taken that course because of the stress levels that your body goes through, or somebody that didn't need to be dead would have been dead, you know. So it, t- it teaches you that that discipline, the muscle memory. Um, it's it's just something that every firearm owner needs to do. They need to take a a certified defensive handgun course. Sure, and you know, there's um, different schools of thought on, it, and that's okay. That 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 sure. discussion can be had within the uh, the environment that you no know, other state you live in, but. The thing is, too, that some of these states enact these steps to frustrate people yeah. who want a DCL, and it, it makes it hard to get it. Like some states have, where it costs five hundred dollars. Oh yeah, and let me clarify: I don't, I don't think it should be a law or a rule. I just think, as a responsible individual, you should do that. Right. Uh, sure. By no yeah. means do I think that that needs to be a law that people do that. No. Yeah. Fortunately for me, growing up a law enforcement officer. Uh, we got all that training and, and the practice. The practice is what's important, what's missing, because you can go out and you can take a course and you can qualify one time. But, it, it you know, being accurate with a firearm is a skill. And in order to become good at a skill, you have to practice. Yeah. So you should probably be getting out there once a month and maybe run through 50 rounds, like you said, so it becomes second nature. Yeah. Uh, ingrained behavior. Most people, they're not going to do that. Well, we don't control human 
behavior and, and it's a responsibility. Um, you know, we had, since we've had this carry conceal license legislation, you know, the left was predicting bloodshed in the streets and oh, shootouts. Yeah. The wild and it, west, as they called it. <laughs> yeah, none of it came to be. You're not having any problem with uh, this law as it is, but what I'm working on now is trying to get uh, rid of that fee. The yeah. license lasts for five years, but then you have to, and all you have to do is fill out the renewal, but it costs you $25. Yeah. Where, what other constitutional right that you exercise do you have to pay $25 illegal. and fill out application to do? That's illegal. It's illegal uh, can to you charge imagine, for a constitutional can, right. <laughs> can you imagine that in order to vote, you have to pay 25 bucks. And, and, and every time you vote, you have to re-up your, your voter registration. No, it's one time. And there's no fee for voter registration fill-out form. Why is there for concealed carry? And that's why I said, you know, I get tired of the, the, the Second Amendment being treated like the bastard child of the Bill of Rights. Right? There's all yeah. these steps and hurdles. First Amendment, you don't have to fill out an application to speak your mind. Freedom of religion, you go to church, you don't have to fill out. And, and pay 25 bucks to be able to go exercise the uh, freedom of now religion. They do. In some areas, um, don't you have to pay like a fee or something if you're going to organize a group of people to protest or something like that? Don't they? You, you uh, paperwork or something it, you got to fill out? Well, it depends on, yeah, for, for protests, it depends. Like if you want to shut a street down, you got to pay. Well, that's reasonable. Yeah. You know, you got, you got to pay the city to come out and set up barricades. There's a cost to that. But if you're going to stay up on the sidewalk and march down the sidewalk or just stand on the public sidewalk, there's no, there's no fee. Yeah. There's no permit required. So um, we talked a little bit about the Second Amendment. We talked uh, a little about some of those court rulings. Um, and the two big ones was the, the religious one, the, the Second Amendment, and then, of course, the Roe v. Wade. Um decision that they that they made to turn it over to the individual states uh and there were two more i think two or four or something like that left i can't remember exactly what they were going to be one of one of the big ones is this epa they're trying to that's what they're trying was. to and uh these federal agencies these federal bureaucracies that are making law that they're not uh allowed to do that's a legislative process and they're acting like a a pseudo legislature and so if if the court and who knows I, I don't try to predict what the court's going to do you can't it's hard to do but it would be a big step if they slapped down the epa and said enough of this anything you want to enact like that has to go you know be passed by a legislature yeah we got another question here from one of our listeners this is Corey brown um and he wants to uh start off with a uh a scenario i guess here it says I need to put my glasses on. It says, I'll lead my comment with a disclaimer. I've been shot at twice and been robbed by gunpoint four times. I finally buy a handgun and get my CCW permit, and miraculously, all my problems disappear. I 100% believe firearms prevent crime in more ways than one. I lived a very sheltered life until I went to college. Then life hit me with a ton of bricks looking down a barrel of a gun. Now I'm where I'm at because I bought a gun and took a class that opened my eyes to the world and I quit being a dumbass and support the gun community as much as I can. What are you doing to educate people to make life choices better than me? Um, I think we've kind of <laughs> well, talked about that. I mean, indirectly we've yeah. answered that. But is there like a specific yeah. thing? That uh, 
Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I write um, op-eds. I, I write for a law enforcement magazine called Blue, B-L-U-E, Blue Magazine. I write two columns a month. I talk about some of these things that were mentioned uh, uh, by that particular question. And also, I uh, do a lot of radio interviews. Like I said, I get to guest host, talk radio. I talk about these issues, share my ideas. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, tell people what to do. I just say, here's, a, here's my views. These are some of my experiences, and hopefully people can learn from them. But I want people to make yeah. these decisions on their own. Uh, I do, you know, Newsmax TV. I'm a contributor to Newsmax TV. So I, I have platforms with which I share these views and these ideas. Uh, my social media. Follow my social media. I talk about, I don't just get on social media and, and, and just, you know, uh, the left sucks. I mean, well, you know, what value is that? I usually attach it to a news story. Mm-hmm. And then I'll give my take on a news story so you can read the news story and say, oh, this is what this said, this, and here's what Clark thinks about it. Right. You know, in this, in this 280 words, whatever. Those are the opportunities that I take to, what's called educate, no, share my ideas and share my experiences with, uh, with other people who might be interested. That's the best way to do it, definitely. Uh, Peter Wiktorski on Facebook says, if you woke up tomorrow as a 25-year-old with all the knowledge that you gained during your career, would you still go into law enforcement given today's political climate? He says, personally, I went through the academy 27 years ago. It would not do it uh, under the current administration. I think that's... Absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> not in this current this climate. You know, climate, I should say. I get asked that a lot from people who are considering a law enforcement career. Uh, I couldn't in good faith tell them, you know, that that would be a good move in this cur- uh, current climate of cop hating. Uh, the political class doesn't support you. Prosecutors don't support you. You you go out and you, you do the best you can with the training and the judgment that you have. If something goes horribly wrong through no fault of your own, your own and you're looking at a criminal indictment potentially from a politically motivated prosecutor. What I tell people is go get your four-year degree, your bachelor's degree, and go into one of the federal agencies, uh, law enforcement, if you wanted. I I couldn't in good faith do it. I'm sending people potentially to their death and not just killed in the line of duty, but, you know, criminal indictment. And it's just... A lot has changed, and uh, no, I, I wouldn't suggest it. But that's a decision again. I'd say that's my view, and you got to make the decision for yourself. That's a good point. So, um, with you know, you said you served on the, you helped with his campaign, Trump. Um, with the twenty twenty four election, what do you predict as far as? I guess, do you think he's going to run again? Is Trump going to run again? Who's going to run with him? you going to help with that? you going to take part again? First of all, 2024 is a ways away. Uh, two years is an eternity in politics. I don't know if President Trump's going to run for re-election. I, I don't try to get into his head. I've met him. Uh, I got to know him. I didn't just meet him one time, shake his hand. Uh, we spent time together on the campaign trail. Sure. We talked a lot. And even after he got elected, um, I a couple of times he came to Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area, and I got to ride in a presidential limousine with him, share some thoughts with him. 
but I don't try to get in his head. I don't know what he's going to do. But I say, what I try to remind people, and remember I said, remind. Uh, one step at a time. Okay. To me, I'm worried about today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. You know why? Nobody's promised tomorrow. I'm worried about today. I can influence today. I can't influence next week. I can't influence November. I can influence today to build toward November, to build toward 2024. So uh, if you look too far down the road, I'm not saying people can't plan for the future. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm talking about. You're going to miss what's right in front of you. Yeah. But take care of the fight that we're in right now, and it's for the fight of the soul of this country. It's happening today. It isn't happening Absolutely. in November. It's not happening in 2024. Let's stay focused on the stuff that we can influence today, and we'll build toward that. And as we get closer, we can start to talk about that. More but, uh, important than the presidency is your local elections. You know, the, the people, the individuals that you elect locally in your cities, in your towns. Cool. Yeah, I mean, school board elections have taken on a new importance, thank God. Um, yeah, focus at the local level. The rest, you know, the future will take care of itself. I have strong faith in God. God knows the future. He doesn't always share it with us. And so I trust in him, and he'll take care of 2024. Does God wear a cowboy hat? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he does. I bet he's got a big old Stetson. Um, I wanted to ask you, I've got a lot of questions that I asked my, my new guest. So what was, what's your earliest recollection? Uh, my father's job. He was in the military, so he was uh, skilled in handling firearms and uh, we go shooting and you know he teach me about it biggest lesson he taught me was keep your hands off my firearms <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I was never tempted to I was never curious to like when I'm home by myself to go sneak into my you know my dad kept one in, the, in his bedroom in my mom's bedroom yeah. uh, I was never tempted to go in there and say keep your hands off my my firearms. He did let me handle them. Like I said, we go out shooting, mm -hmm. and uh, so that was my first experience was just through my father. Do you remember the actual first one you shot? Uh, yeah, with my father. Do you remember the first firearm? You remember what it was? Oh, um, it was a semi-automatic. It was a probably still have it, don't you? It was a Walther. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, probably a 380, I think. Yeah. We went to, I remember, I remember it vividly. We were, we were at uh, this park in Beloit, Wisconsin. Beloit's a rural area. It's called Big Hill Park. Very spacious, um, safe area. To, we'd set up stuff on a, um, a tree stump or something and target you. Nice. I wasn't that good at the time, but at least I You got to start somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. Holding the firearm and keeping it pointed down, down range and that sort of stuff. I learned from him. He, and he, he taught me that lesson, too. He says every firearm is loaded. Every. Just assume it. Don't don't guess. Don't think it's loaded. Every and, firearm is always loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not, it's loaded. Treat it as it right. is. Yeah.
That was that was a big lesson my dad taught me. You, you think that that way? I always get a kick out of these stories. People say a gun went off and they're cleaning their gun. That's a bunch. Of BS. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. just it, nobody cleans a loaded gun. Hey, how about <laughs> how about prime example? Alec Baldwin. You know. Yeah. I didn't yeah, pull the right. trigger. It just went off. Yeah, it went on. No, guns don't just go off. No. You pulled the hammer back for one knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. Finger outside and off the trigger. Outside the trigger guard and off the trigger. Those are simple lessons that, that prevent some of these these things. So every time I hear a story of someone cleaning a firearm, well, they weren't they weren't cleaning that firearm. Yeah. They were fooling around with it is what happened. Yeah, or they for, they forgot it was loaded. They didn't check it. Right. And boom. Yeah. And boom. Um, so we know about your law enforcement uh, career. What's What would you think uh, or would you say is your crowning achievement uh, during your nearly 40 years? And it doesn't necessarily have to be while you were sheriff. There might have been something that you did, you know, when you were a detective. Or... Yeah, actually, you know, outside of law enforcement was my education. Uh, I got my bachelor's degree um, after I joined the police department. And I got a master's degree. Oh, that was nice. a crowning achievement. My mom and dad were real big on education. And uh, Good for you. What, what's uh, your master's in? It's in Homeland Defense and Security. It's from the, I attended the uh, U.S. Naval Academy postgraduate school in Monterey, California. Hell yeah. And a center for Homeland Defense and Security. So I'm, I'm that had been interesting. Yeah, it was. That was cool. It was very, very, very challenging, very difficult. But uh, I'm real proud of that. The you know my education. I, I stress it to young people today. Get your education. It's the traditional vehicle to upward mobility in the in the United States of America. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a four year college. Maybe you want to go to a trade school. But that's education. Sure. Right. You know, that's education. Um, and then probably inside of law enforcement was uh, becoming the chief executive of a large law enforcement agency, Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office, one of the 50 largest sheriff's offices in the United States of America. Yeah. And the fact that I got elected, getting elected is hard. It's very hard to get elected, no matter what level it is, uh, city council, whatever. Uh, and I was always the biggest vote getter in the county. I used to get more votes. Uh, I usually won. I'd get like 240, 250,000 votes in an election. I got more than the congresswoman. I got more than the governor in Milwaukee County. Oh, wow. I outdid them in the county. Uh, so the fact that the voters of this county had the confidence in me to allow me to serve them, that's just it's public service in that capacity. You know, I got to be sheriff in the the town, the city, and the county that I grew up in—that's that's 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 cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was one of the coolest pieces of kit or maybe firearms um, that you've had exposure to? Um, maybe it's something that you got to use or, or see or test out on the force. Uh, Uzi. <laughs> Uzi, yeah. And the reason I got to do that, I got to do some uh, training with the Secret Service. Sweet. And so your Secret Service and the FBI, and they use, they have access. So I got to shoot an Uzi. 
And also, That's my awesome. own agency, we have fully automatic uh, rifles, fully automatic. Yeah. Uh, those are fun. Oh, yes, <laughs> they are. <laughs> you can either do it um, single action or three-shot bursts. In other words, pull the trigger and hold it in three, and there's a lever on the side, or fully automatic, where you the can run switch. through a you know, 50 rounds in about five seconds. Uh, so those are those experiences and, and the training and handling of that. I own three semi-automatic rifles myself. Mm-hmm. I have an AR-15. I have an M&P-15, which is a Smith & Wesson. I own a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Five or six handguns. Um, so I'm, I'm well stocked. Locked, stocked, and ready to go, baby. Um, also, I have something here, and this is something that we got to look at in terms of the next um, uh, Congress. Well, we're not going to get it through Joe Biden, but yeah. the GOP opportunity for um, concealed carry reciprocity. In other words, your CCL is recognized in all 50 states. It just needs to be national. National. And, yeah. and it, they should have got it done, the GOP, when Trump got elected. They controlled the House and the Senate. And the White House and the Congress never brought it up. Trump said during the campaign he would sign it. The bill came to him. Well, they never forwarded the bill. But mm-hmm. I have what's uh, uh, I do have a, a CCL that allows me to carry in all 50 states. It's a federal license it's because um, local, not local, retired law enforcement officers can get one. Yeah. So I carry a gun in all 50 states. But I think that every U.S. citizen should have that same thing. It's like your driver's license. You get a driver's license or a marriage license. You don't have to go to each state and find out if you can drive in that state. It's universally accepted. Yeah. And we need that for CCL. So Absolutely. that'll be something I'm working on if uh, get control of those three chambers again. Absolutely. And that's something that we've been pushing for a while now. Not only that, but um, let me ask you this. I'm just curious. Um, I had no intention of asking you this, but... Uh, what are your thoughts on the ATF and the need for the ATF? Well, they've gotten way outside of their original mission. Uh, it was more toward the alcohol and tobacco. Explosives. When found, yeah. It was base money um, for the debt. People go back into the history and, you know, they, they, I don't find them, and by the way, I'm trained by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in terms of uh, gun trafficking. I visited their their headquarters and their their uh, uh, building where they have all these firearms uh, that they've confiscated, come, whatever. Yeah, uh, you know, as long as I think the issue is who's in charge of it. All right, when you get a Democrat president, they're going to put an anti-gun person Obviously, in charge of the yeah. ATF. Because the, the, the head of these agencies, they set the pace. Um, I'm not for, I mean, I'm obviously not for any sort of gun. We have too much gun control in this country. Way too much. We don't need any more. Not one. And I keep saying no, no, no to any suggestion of more gun control. None. And people, what about this? I go, no. What about this? No, no, we have enough. We don't even need it's any covered. more. Everything's covered a couple of times. Yeah, the 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 ATF 
I didn't find them to be too much of an obstacle when I was the sheriff. Yeah. Um, they basically were used for tracing. In other words, if you, if you got a firearm at a crime, you do a, uh, a tracing investigation. Well, that's through the ATF. They can tell you when that gun was first sold, who it was sold to, and then, you know, as it moves around. And you, you do that to sometimes it'll help you catch the perpetrator. But it, it furthers the investigation. You can go to the person who originally bought it and say, yeah, I sold that about five years ago to John Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can go to John Smith and, yeah, I sold that or whatever, or it was stolen or whatever. Um, the ATF really didn't bother me. Yeah. Well, and I can understand as a law enforcement, but as a citizen uh, and some of the things that they're trying to uh, enforce and impose, like the 80 percent, you know, they call them the ghost guns, which which is really not an issue. It's not as big an issue as they're, you know, they're making it out to be. And they're classifying things as unserialized or ghost guns that aren't, um, you know, just to up up their numbers, obviously. But, you know, they had that new ruling recently. Uh, where they they have clarified, uh, I guess what a eighty percent is, and that uh, how I guess gun how they're to be sold, and from this point, I don't know that they're legal now. I don't, I don't understand the ruling myself, so uh, it's something that I've got to do a little yeah. more research on uh, personally. Yeah, it's something we have to keep an eye on because um, it's emerging. Yeah, at least in what this. Ghost gun. That's probably that term probably came yeah. from the left. But it's been no, it I, it absolutely did. Uh, but it's something that we've had in this country. You know, we've been able to make our own firearms as long as you're not selling yep. them. You know, there's again, there's rules and laws in place already. As long as you're not a felon and you can own a firearm, you know, you can make your own, you know, firearm at home. Um, so, but that's where they're impeding on that, and that's some of these liberal laws. You know, that they're trying to they're trying to skirt through going the by going through the ATF instead of having to make laws or anything then they leave it up the ATF to make these rules which like you said earlier yeah what are your thoughts on because I have mine I'll share them with you but I want to get yours first sure uh that convicted felons can never own a firearm um what are your thoughts on that so that's a tough one um because there are all I'm kinds not, of different felonies. Yeah, I'm not trying to no, put you on the spot. Or no, you're not putting me just, on the spot at, at all. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, I don't think that you can just say, I think they can or they can't because there are different types of felonies. You know, there are there different types of crimes. That's, that's what I was getting at. And that's where I'm at. Like, if you, if you are convicted of passing bad checks forgery or something and it rises to the level let's say it's a couple hundred thousand rises to the level of felony that's not a violent crime Mm-mm. why should you be able not be able to own or possess a firearm or purchase one for the rest of your life for passing bad checks i think for people convicted of violent crimes yes because they've demonstrated mm-hmm. that they're not responsible with that instrument but a person writing bad checks i think there's yeah. certain Bad checks, uh, tax evasion, you know. (laughs) You should not be prohibited from owning and possessing a firearm. But that's something that Congress is going to have to do. But I've always found that problematic with certain levels of a felony. Yeah. Like felony criminal damage to property, right? I mean, it's over 10,000. Every state's different. People can Uh, do what uh, G. Gordon Liddy did, you know, and they're not my guns, they're my wife's. 
<laughs> Those are my watch <laughs> <Yeah>. hands. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a, another thing that. Uh, no, that was a great uh, uh, great point to bring up. But yeah, that uh, I think it's it all depends on the you know, the actual crime is what it should be right. based on. Um, yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, if, what's your next bucket list? Got to have one. I have. Uh, as soon as you get the opportunity, you're gonna own it. And it doesn't have necessarily have to be a firearm, but it can be. Uh, it could be anything. It could be a truck. It could be maybe a new Stetson you're looking at. You know, what's your next? What's your next? Got to have one. I have bucket list item, or maybe something you want to do. Yeah, I don't know that I have one. You know, because I'm I lead a comfortable life. I have most of what I want and need. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's any out there that, hey, if I ever get the chance, if I ever had the money, I, I would. So you're I, not like eyeing one of those new Broncos or anything like that? or No. No? No. I, no. <laughs> okay. I guess that's you be. Don't really have anything on, on a bucket list. All right, let's let's modify it a little bit. Laws be damned, money be damned. What would you do or own? Laws don't apply, money, no object. Uh, a jet. Like a uh, a Lear or a Citation or a Gulfstream? Gulfstream, yeah. Because I do a lot of traveling. I have to try to travel commercial, and traveling's a pain in the ass these days. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> private, people's private jet, and that's the way to go. So, uh, it's nice. You can avoid airports, all the TSA nonsense. You just How go to the regional airport. They, 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 they take your bags as soon as you hit the door and they carry them out. And all you do is board the plane. That no lines, nice. no people going through your, your stuff without a warrant. Um, a jet. I like it. Uh, that's a good choice. Now, would you outfit your jet with... Uh, some sort of a defensive system. <laughs> Again, laws be damn, money be damn. You know, you you could put anything on that jet you wanted. Throw some stinger missiles on there. I don't know. They got got to go that far, but that uh, <laughs> too is I can go on there armed. So yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, that's another benefit of that. If you could spend the day at the range. And I use the range just kind of as a a metaphor. Who would you like to spend it with? Whether they're still alive, maybe they've passed, or maybe a fictional character or group of people. Who would you who would you like to spend the day at the range with? John Wayne. The Duke. Yep. Very nice. And which which particular movie of his uh is your favorite? Um Jeez, I can't even think of the name of most so of them. many. I've seen a, I've seen a, a lot of John Wayne movies. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll tell you, my favorite John Wayne didn't star in it, but it was uh, yes, he did in the original. Uh, what's the one? Um, There's a book too. It's the only time I've read the book and saw the movie of any uh, movie that had a, a book written before it. Um, was it the one that they just? Redid not too long ago with um, what's his name? Yeah, Bridges, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah. I know what movie you're talking about, and I can't True, think of it either. True Grit. True Grit. True Grit. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yep, that is a good one. I like that one. 
the shootest. The book, the book was good too. Yeah. I haven't read that book, but I've seen both of those versions of the movie and I like John Wayne's better. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, he's got a shift ton of movies that he did. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, John Wayne as a person, uh, you know, his personal views and things, you know, he, he caught some flack over like a playboy interview that he did. Um, I can't remember what it was, but you know, then he got into that cancel culture where everybody was wanting to, to cancel the Duke and things that were named after yeah. him, take his name down and that kind of stuff. So, you know, even, even the dead aren't immune to the cancel culture, uh, bullshit. Amazing, isn't it? It is. It's it's crazy. All right, last question, and this is a fun one. Do you believe in Sasquatch? No. You don't believe in, in Bigfoot? Don't believe that there's a Sasquatch or Bigfoot out there? No. no. You know, maybe 25, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50, I, I might have, but with today's technology, I'm finding it hard to believe that, uh, I mean, if there was a sighting today that someone wouldn't have their cell phone camera with them to get some actual footage. If you were invited uh, to think, go on a Bigfoot hunt, would you go? No. If they had thermals, and not to kill him, not to kill him, just to to prove that he was out there. No, because I don't <laughs> think he is. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. And what I, about... I think it's... The myth is fun. It it's is. like the Loch Ness monster. Yeah, <laughs> you know the myth is fun, but I don't. I, I don't. I, it's kind of like when I was a kid, I believed in Santa Claus, and then there came a point in time where I said, "Okay, there's no real that lives at the North Pole. There's yeah. Santa Claus, but uh, I, you know, just no, no guy that's in a flying reindeer sleigh that delivers right toys Older. all over the world. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to believe in them. What about UFOs? I'm not sure. And I, when uh, I say UFOs, I mean aliens. I'm not sure. You know, if, if like... Skeptical? If there are... I, I, I find it hard to believe that humans on Earth are the only, in this whole damn galaxy and universe, that we're the only whatever. Yeah. So... I don't discredit it. I don't go out. People are crazy. I, yeah. So I believe that there are other life forms out there other than on planet Earth, but I don't think anything has actually visited Earth. That's my thoughts on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get that out of the way. Um, so, David, this has been great, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on and, and talk with me and, and our listeners. You survived the new guy questions. Congratulations. <laughs> You're now officially a, a leadhead, a talking lead leadhead. I like that. Uh, I'd like to send you a, a shirt if you wouldn't mind. So if I get your uh, yeah. your info when we get done, I'll uh, I'll make sure you get a, a talking lead shirt. And, okay. Uh, oh, extra large. Extra large. We'll, we'll make sure. And uh, – the again the, the website the social meds um, anything you got coming up give it a plug uh, yeah social media and also check out my uh, I started a nonprofit a grassroots conservative oh. political organizing uh, effort it's called Rise Up Wisconsin 
riseupwisconsin.com is the site, riseupwisconsin.com. And I'm organizing individuals at the grassroots level, conservatives, so we can influence Madison, that's the capital, and the legislature to enact legislation important to the grassroots and not just the special interests and the lobbyists. I don't believe the individual has a uh, seat at the table, and so I'm trying to give them one with my influence. Okay, and that's riseupwisconsin.com. You leadheads can go there. For our video viewers, I've got it up uh, on the screen right now. And uh, And donate. Get money. We need These things are expensive. This thing don't run on thanks, does it? (laughs) We need need money. uh, Uh, Gotta have money. So you do you do some blogs and things on here? Yeah, there's a blog. I'll do that. A newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. There you go. Email. Just put your address in there, and you'll get my newsletters that come out periodically. Also, go to that Blue Magazine. Uh, Like I said, just Blue Magazine. If you put that in a search engine, uh, it'll come up. I write two columns a month on emerging issues. Like I said, um, that's it? mainly law enforcement. That's it. Okay. So the thebluemagazine.com, Leadheads, you can go there and um, uh, columnist. I guess you'll be a columnist. Looky there. Yep. Go under column. Oh. Click on that and you'll see. Uh, FBI twice famous. Twice a month I submit. But illegal and honest assessment, uh, very good. And you do that about once a week, you say? Uh, twice a month, so about every two weeks I submit a column. Okay. That one there, an honest assessment, my thoughts on that Uvalde uh, school shooting. Oh, my gosh, we could talk another another hour on that. Yeah. Uh, I would love to get your yeah. thoughts and on I'm that. A, you know, when law enforcement is wrong, I, I just say they're wrong. Messed up, whatever, you know, and, and yeah. but when they're right, I'm the biggest there is. Well, I mean, again, you can't placate to uh, incompetence. If something's not right, it's no. not right. No, you lose credibility if you do. Absolutely. Uh, and then Leadheads, make sure you go to his social media. It's uh, Sheriff David Clark uh, on the Instagram. Is that, all, that on all the, uh, the social meds? All of them. At Sheriff Clark, C L A R K E. And you're on um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Fantastic. Now, what are your plans for the 4th of July? How are you going to go out and and exercise your constitutional rights and freedoms uh, of this birth of this nation? With some rest and relaxation, going up to a uh, uh, northern Wisconsin, beautiful country up there area called door county uh, Is that on the lake, lake property that some, uh, relatives of mine own but we always get together on the 4th of july up there and get away sit down on the water and just enjoy life that's sounds... a little fireworks it's fireworks going up there and, but I just, you know just want to caution everybody be careful around these fireworks uh, oh yeah Every 4th of July, you read these stories, someone got their head and hand blown off, somebody, you know, lost an eye, and it's just, it's, uh, it, you got to handle those things like fire, like a firearm, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, I let other people do that. <laughs> let them, yeah, so I, the professionals, yeah, we just watch. The pyrotechnics, I let them, them handle that, and I just, uh, I do my 12-ounce curls, and I'm good, baby. <laughs> there you go. 
David, again, I really appreciate you being on. You're welcome back anytime. I would love to have you back on. I know the Leadheads uh, are really going to enjoy this, and they're going to scream to have you back on. So um, hopefully we can – since you're not doing your own podcast now, maybe we can uh, get you back periodically. That'd be great. All right. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, Leadheads, that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Make sure you go and support all those that make this show possible. Mission First Tactical, SEAL1.com. You can go to 1776 United, get our awesome T-shirts that I'm going to be sending uh, David there. Uh, Factory 47 to get our AK Corner logoed items. I've got it up here somewhere. I think it's that tray right there. Uh, IWIUS, speaking of Uzis, they're a sponsor of the show. And uh, Keltech. And uh, make sure you use those discount codes uh, to get your discounts when you go to those websites and and do your shopping. Um, And as always, Leadheads... Keep your loved ones close. And keep your firearms closer. Stay locked and loaded.